This episode of the Marshall Focus podcast is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios. The studio will be opening in Hamilton in the next couple of weeks and is owned and operated by Chief Artist Brian Bell. So have a wee look on Instagram and on social media for Hold True Tattoo Studios. If you're at all interested in uh, getting some artwork done, uh, contact Brian directly. Brian is just a fantastic uh, artist and tattooist, and we highly recommend him. So we're super excited and super proud to have a Hold True Tattoo Studios as our new sponsor for the podcast. Kareem, how are you doing? How about Shannon, how are you? I can't complain. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, thanks for doing this, by the way. It's just, I'm sitting here reading through the, the wee bio that you sent me. Yeah. Just thinking, like, there's so much in this. I'm, I'm, I was, I'm actually really looking forward to talking to you. Uh, Hopefully uh, I deliver then. <laughs> you know, uh, I know you've listened to a couple of the episodes now, but and I, we're only about 11 or so episodes in, uh, but already I'm, the kind of common theme is you, you, you can't help but deliver. Whatever you say is totally cool. Uh, and I know for a fact about what we're going to talk about is going to be, or what you're going to talk about is going to be. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's just people, I, I, people that have been listening to the podcast will probably be fed up already <laughs> me saying this, but just People that I sort of think are really interesting and and the stories they've got to tell is like yourself is is who I want on and then hopefully hopefully people enjoy so there's absolutely no pressure at all you'll you'll do you'll do absolutely brilliant uh, I was looking at as I say at the notes so what I'm going to do is just give you a wee introduction and then yeah. some of the story that you've got is really current like the COVID stuff. Yeah. So I think what we'll do is we'll 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 talk about that first, and then the other part of the story, which I think is equally as interesting, if not more, actually, is a wee bit of your backstory, and we can sort of circle back on that. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. So uh, Shannon Ward, you are a clinical research associate. Uh, You've got a first class honours degree in biomedical science. Yeah. I'm going to make a mess of all of this stuff, so remember, just jump in and correct me, right? Don't worry about it. Uh, so, you, you sort of tick the qualified box, which is excellent. Uh, you've been working directly with the NHS on clinical trials regarding COVID, which you can go on and tell us a wee bit about. And yep. you've also got experience working on trials with oncology and I would imagine cancer research and things like that, yeah? Yeah, so um, with the oncology trials that I've worked on, it's been um, melanoma and multiple myeloma, so two separate cancers. Okay, uh, and you've also had experience to your work of uh, trials regarding HIV as well? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, even with that, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's huge interest in things that and questions that I'm probably going to have for you, but uh, let's start with what you're doing at the minute. As I say, this is probably the first podcast that I've done that's actually got a 
a sort of current affairs theme, and I've actually right. got someone who has lots of actual scientific knowledge mm -hmm. that I can talk to about it. So let's actually start on your experience of the trials regarding uh, COVID, and, and, and we'll see where that takes us. Is that okay? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, first of all, um, I would say that I've got one of those jobs that is like Chandler from Friends. Nobody really knows what I do. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's, it's quite a it's quite a complicated job, but it's also a job that even if you are, you know, studying in university, you've probably not heard of the job. I didn't even hear the job until I applied for okay. the job. You know, so um, it's it's uh, it's an unusual job. It's one you don't quite think of, but basically, um, I work as a kind of go-between between pharmaceutical companies who are trialing different drugs and the NHS um, or even you know GP surgeries or private um, medical hospitals uh, um, around the UK yep. who are testing those drugs on their patients. Um, so right now I'm working on a trial related to COVID for um, you know privacy reasons. I can't say the, the pharmaceutical company that I'm working on or the drug yep. that I'm working on. Um, but I'm working with 15 hospitals uh, around the UK and um, it's received quite a lot of publicity so you've probably without even realizing maybe heard about it if you keep in, up and date uh, up to date with the news okay yeah yeah um and so far it's it's been it's been a, a life-changing experience for me actually because usually when we work on these trials as much as it's um very you can see the impact that it's having on the patients. Yeah. You've never quite seen the impact as with a global pandemic, you know, we've, yeah. we've not had something like this yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. in recent history. So it's been really um, humbling to work on something like that and to, you know, hear, I never deal with patients firsthand. Okay. I deal with the doctors and nurses that work with those patients. Yeah. So to speak to those doctors and nurses and hear how things are going with their patients, it's been an incredible experience. So I was thinking about this because I know that there's things that we can and things we can't talk about. Treat me and, well, again, I, I'll, I'll take the hit here. Uh, because we are talking directly to each other, treat me probably as I am, <laughs> uh, as someone who's who knows nothing about anything. I nearly said treat me and the listeners, but that's really disrespectful <laughs> to them. So, sorry, guys, uh, but I'll take the hit. So what, what, I, what I want to kind of know is just assume that I know nothing and, and tell me exactly, as, as best as you can due to privacy, etc., what you've actually been working on. With COVID or, or just with COVID, yeah. Listen, there's never any time limit on these, so we can get, we'll, we'll definitely get to, to the other stuff, but just okay, because yeah. COVID's so sort of prominent at, at the moment. Yeah. So um, we've been working on a treatment um, for COVID rather than a vaccine, which would prevent you, you getting infection. infection. Right. We've been working on the other side of things. So if a patient has the infection, can this treatment um, effectively treat that condition? So um, this treatment would um, intercept the, the virus replication 
um, and it would essentially stop the virus from building up in your in your um, body and hopefully you know prevent you from having COVID-19 syndrome. So the virus is SARS-CoV-2, that's the virus name, but the syndrome that you get from it is COVID-19, so that's why you hear everyone talking about COVID, because that's your symptoms, that's the syndrome you get. Right, just uh, say that wee bit again, because that's, I get, there's so, I mean, I, I'm just talking from my own experience here, there's so much, and again, I, I, I wonder how many people are like me and, have I used to be I don't I don't know why COVID's been been different but I'm usually all over the news as in I'm the kind of guy that was always laughing at my dad for being boring and watching the news and now all I do was watch the news but with this it's been different uh and and you kind I kind of just shut off over the last couple of months yeah to be honest yeah but just repeat please that wee bit you were saying there about well, go ahead, just what you're talking about, about what people think it's just COVID-19, but it's not really. So, well, it is. So that's, if you, if you, you know, catch the virus, for lack of a better term, you yeah. then have COVID-19 because that's the syndrome that develops. Okay. The virus itself, though, the name of the virus is SARS-CoV-2. So SARS, if you remember, that was the... The, the, the SARS um, pandemic, I can't remember when it was. I've got a terrible yeah. memory, by the way. You'll realise okay. that as we, as we talk through this. No, no, I have a, a really terrible memory. But So SARS-CoV-2, which develops into COVID-19, it shares the same cellular receptor as the SARS virus that we've already seen in history. Okay. Um, and because of that, it's been named SARS-CoV, which stands for coronavirus, to... Right, okay. So the initial SARS virus was um, SARS-CoV, I believe, or maybe SARS-CoV-1, or maybe just SARS. This yep. is SARS coronavirus 2, because it's very similar to that initial um, SARS um, pandemic that we've seen in history. For, for somebody like me who, and again, I, 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 this is where all the silly questions will come, down, come out, because if I was, maybe as a guy... There's no such thing as a silly question. Well, I... <laughs> Yeah, like you've not heard what I'm going to say. Uh, I I used to touch wood. Uh, I've not had. I, I used to suffer a lot from tonsillitis, bacterial tonsillitis, mm -hmm. and I've got some ongoing sort of uh, dental issues as well. And uh, I always understood that the main difference between a sort of bacterial infection or a bacterial illness, which antibiotics would then treat, versus a virus which like the cold or the flu, which which maybe couldn't get treated. But as I'm saying that, you know, I'm then thinking about uh, HIV, for example, which is viral based, but there's now obviously fantastic treatments yeah. for that. So that's, it's really interesting straight away if we start the conversation that you're actually working on something that will stop that. How much can you tell us about the actual what you're working on and, and how it would work? Not too much, to be honest. Um, it's fine. part of the, um, the, like I said, if yourself or anyone listening wants to go, you know, and probably Google some things, you yeah. would probably land on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, just for, um, yeah, for privacy reasons, I can't really talk about it. Um, because 
because we're working on it right now as well. It would be different yeah. if it was already approved, everything was done, the study was closed, then we could talk about it a bit more. Um, so it's an antiviral. So if the patients present with um, a certain amount of symptoms and they fall into certain categories, which we call inclusion criteria, because we're including yeah. the patient, we can include the patient into that trial, um, and they agree um, of their own free will to be part of that that trial, then they can receive the anti um, antiviral, and they will be given a certain course of that antiviral. And then what we do is we look for you know how they clinically improve. So um, they may get a shorter period, or they may get a longer period, um, or in some cases, if they have um, a more moderate disease they um, may not get any drug at all and they may be um, on the study so that we can compare yeah. someone who gets no drug at all to people who do get drug. Um, and then we look at yeah, how they improve clinically over time and we record that. And so some patients may you know, receive two doses of the drug and they may completely improve and they be, they're discharged from the hospital. Okay. That's excellent. Some patients may receive the entire course of the drug and they're still in the hospital, they're still ventilated, they're still seriously ill. So we need to look at all of that data and then all of that data gets pulled into a um, kind of clinical data study report. Yep. And this is where it even goes above my head because it goes over to the biostats people. Okay. And numbers and me do not mix, um, never mind statistics. So it goes over to Biostats and then they start actually, um, you know, doing whatever they do in Biostats and they um, can then report on whether the drug is statistically proving to work um, better than the general standard of care that you would get normally in the hospital without the drug. How I, I wake up daily with, with, or have woken up daily during this sort of, now, not just during the lockdown, but before it, when when the sort of COVID thing was 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 starting, and yesterday, for example, I would have woke up thinking, oh, "This is a really, 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 really serious thing," and then the day I would wake up thinking, "I think we've made too much of this," and then the more I wake up thinking something different. So, <laughs> I know this is like a, a general sweeping question, but how serious, how dangerous is this through? what you're experiencing through the trials and the research that you're doing? So what I'm about to say is more my opinion than anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is really hard to, to be a normal human being, you know, just kicking about doing your own thing and to know whether to take this really seriously or not, especially if you don't have anyone close to you that has contracted the virus that has fallen ill because of it. And you're not seeing anything around you, you know, that shows you how serious it is. Yeah. I personally believe it is, is really serious. I also believe we are past the highest risk, okay. which was the first wave. Um, but I That's don't think know. that that... <laughs> That's Sorry? good to know. That's good to know. It's, yeah. <laughs> 
So we're definitely past the highest risk point, which was no one in the UK had ever contracted the virus. And so that means that that virus is a very high risk to anyone who could contract it. It's still a very high risk to anyone who has not came in contact with the virus because their immune systems don't know how to deal with it. There's nothing to say that they would be, you know, they might, they might contract it, they might have no symptoms, they may be completely symptomatic, but equally they may go the completely opposite way um, and they may, you know, just be completely ill with it, have to be yeah. ventilated, they may, they may die, unfortunately. Um, there are areas of the population where there is a, a higher risk and I've certainly seen that from working on the, the studies that I'm working on. Um, most of the patients that we are working on are all in that high risk category. Most of them are over 50. Most of them are, you know, of a, um, a higher weight. They, yeah. uh, a lot of them are, are classed as obese. A lot of them has, have hypertension or asthma. Um, so there's definitely these, um, you know, different comorbidities that we would call it um, that would make it a higher risk um, to those patients um, but there's nothing to say that it's not a risk to your eye as yeah. well you know um, but it, it's so hard to tell because you're, you're we're living in a world that we've never lived in before we've never had to go into lockdown before and maybe maybe I maybe I have, have already came in contact with the virus but I was asymptomatic yeah and so I can completely understand why it's difficult to then take it seriously after four months you know of being stuck in the house. As as a sort of lay person, do I get frustrated, and again, I, I'm I'm always conscious of uh, hijacking people on the podcast, and, and again, this is what I'm not trying to do. So, and I think we, we talked before before you were actually come on the show about just how how we would deal with this, but I'm probably going to ask stupid questions, as I said, but. And, and make silly comments, but I'll, I'll trust you to guide me on, on what's sensible and what's not. Uh, it always frustrates me as someone, just a member of the, the public who, uh, okay, this is what I'm trying to say. Why are we not listening to people like you? Why are we not listening to people who are in labs working on this stuff or in the NHS working directly with patients or any of the, why is it, why is there so many people are so big a part of the, not just the UK population, but the world population, not seeking out people like you, like I've done, to try and get the actual facts on this? I think there's a number of answers. So the first answer I, I would think is we're all just human. And, you know, there's only so much we can take. I mean, I'm sitting here telling you how serious I think this is. But I'm also frustrated, you know, I don't want to have to wear a mask when I go into Tesco. I do, yeah. but I don't want to, you know, I want to just go out and have dinner and go and see my friends and I'm getting frustrated at this point. So the first thing is, you know, we are only human. I think the second answer is though, as much as this has been a global pandemic where thousands and I mean, literally thousands. I think the last time that I looked, because I was doing a presentation on it for my work, it was over 450,000 people had died. You know, that is absolutely tragic. Yeah. But if you look at that across the globe, 
I don't think there's enough people who have been individually affected in their own lives who have seen it, you know. I don't know anyone who's fallen ill. I don't know anyone who's went to hospital. So I think when you're in an environment where you don't know anyone who's been affected by it, it's harder for you to take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, I think we're in, it's, to me, that the frustration comes from, uh, and again, this, this maybe lead into other studies that you've done, but I, and again, this is coming from a guy who, who believes strongly in God. Uh, but it's, and again, there's this, there's always this, uh, it's a ridiculous thing that people say, and I've been guilty of saying it as well. Uh, and look, you believe in God, but you believe in science as well. Well, of course you believe in science. Uh, but I, there's, there's just this, there seems, I, there's this frustration I have that we're getting further away from, from facts, we're getting further away from, from a, as I say, all the work that you, you, you're doing and people within your field are doing. And it's just all, just people's opinions is, is more than, yeah. I mean, you, I've heard it and I've, I've listened to things and I've seen things and you could be sitting here as you're doing now as someone who's uh, qualified to a university level to say first class degree, you're actually working in the field now, you're telling us this is the work we're doing to do A, B and C, and me as a guy who knows absolutely nothing about it, have every right to just say, no, nah, I don't believe that. Or, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's so frustrating. Uh, absolutely, absolutely know what you're saying. Um, and I think it's because it's stirred so much um, in the media and with politics and, you know, it's just been in everyone's lives. And because it's been in everyone's lives, everyone has an opinion. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, most people feel they need to share that opinion. <laughs> and I'm as guilty as next guy. I've just, you know, people will be throwing stuff at the, their phones or whatever, listening to me, because I'm usually the guy with the opinions, but I've been trying my best to... to but, but like you said, you are entitled to them, you know, and um, the thing is with SARS-CoV-2 and with um, COVID-19 and even with, you know, everything that's going on right now, it's never happened before for most people living right now. It's never happened before. Um, I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> that's all right. it, it, it's never happened before. And also because it's a, a novel virus it's a new virus all of these scientists all of these doctors all of these politicians everyone is learning yeah there was no one in october november last year when this virus was thought to have been introduced into the human population there was no one who knew exactly what type of syndrome it was going to cause in humans how to treat it there was no one who was an expert um, and it's only through people trying to learn and people sharing what they've learned and people sharing you know all this information that I think it causes a bit of fear in the general population as well because if hearing one scientist say one thing another scientist say another thing yep. and then that's when you start to just develop your own opinions yeah no I get that that again it's it's having You've actually put that really eloquently, actually, and when you're saying it that way, it, it, it kind of, it, it, well, not kind of, it actually makes more sense. 
Uh, what, again, other things that you can maybe help me with. I've, there's an uncertainty on how we get out of this. Now, obviously everybody's been talking about, until actually speaking to you tonight, it really hasn't been in, in my consciousness about actually people working on stuff to cure it. It had been mostly about, right, we need to get a vaccine, we need to get a vaccine, mm -hmm. so people don't get it in the first place type thing. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your opinion on how we, we, we get out of this? Or, or so, the so the best way to go back to, as everyone's been saying, a new normal, yeah. as, as a vaccine, that's the, the priority, that's what we need. Um, because basically we're, we're trying to slow down the infection rate. So you've heard this a lot, you know, yeah. um, flatten the curve and all that, as yeah. all the politicians have been saying. So we're trying to slow down the infection rate because we want to limit the, the number of people that are dying because of the infection and oh. we don't want to uh, um, overwhelm the NHS. Yeah. But by slowing down the infection rate, we're also slowing down um, how quickly we get over it because the only way that we get over it is by the majority of the population coming into contact with the virus. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's why a vaccine is the best way to go because what a vaccine does. Um, do you know how vaccines work? So so yeah. You 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 you're again. I'm willing to just as I have been on the podcast so far, just say stupid stuff and then have someone who knows better like you to to, to educate me. So uh, would I be right in saying that you actually get? infected for want of a better word with a slight amount of the virus or disease essentially there's there's different types of viruses and it depends on the virus and um, vaccines sorry there's different types of vaccines and it depends on the virus that you are vaccinating against um and how dangerous that virus is um mm -hmm. which vaccine you decide to kind of go with an attenuated vaccine is one that contains a live you know, um, virus or alive, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's been attenuated, so it's essentially been totally weakened, so that right. it won't cause any symptoms in your body. Okay. Right. Um, that's one type of vaccine. There's many others. I don't know. Obviously, I'm not working on the vaccine side of things, right. so yeah. I know that there's a couple of vaccines in the woodworks. I don't know how they plan on developing those vaccines, whether they're using an attenuated vaccine or another type of vaccine. But essentially all vaccines train your body to identify that um, foreign um, body. Yep. So it can be a bacteria, it can be a virus. Um, so earlier on you heard me say that um, SARS-CoV-2 shared a similar cellular receptor to SARS. Yep, yep. So those cellular receptors can sometimes be what you um, kind of are looking for when you put, you know, create the vaccines. I'm saying that I'm absolutely, for anyone who knows how to develop vaccines and about vir virology and things like that, I'm absolutely destroying this description. All right, that's okay. That's, that's <laughs> but, um, essentially, you want your body to know what to look out for for that virus. 
And that means that if you come in contact with that virus again, your body instantly kills it. Okay, right. So you do that naturally, but when you do it naturally, it's much slower right. because you have to wait to become in contact to come in contact with the virus. And then depending on, on how deadly the virus is, you may, you know, you may even die before you've been able yeah. to develop that sort of immunity. So that's why a vaccine is the best way forward, because if you vaccinate the population, then everyone has come in contact with the virus and, you know, quicker, yep, yep, rather yep. than waiting on the entire of the UK population to come, to come in contact with the virus naturally. And then, you know, even more may die because of it, because they do develop the symptoms. Yep. They do become very ill. Instead, you're giving them the tools to fight the, to fight the virus themselves. Where, where where does the so where 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 does where would your work fit into that then? Is there an assumption that this virus, uh, this vaccine, is is still a fair bit away? So we need the work that you're doing, or does that make sense? As in, so if we get a vaccine for for Christmas time, which might be a ridiculous time scale, but if we did. Uh, that that's the way to go then you vaccinate everybody as quickly as you possibly can and then it's not a problem anymore yeah one of the one of the thing hardest things is that vaccines are one of the hardest um areas to trial um you're trialing healthy patients um it can be quite difficult to get you know good data and to prove in such a quick time scale that it does work um from what I've heard, we've got um, potentially some, um, you know, good-looking data from some virus uh, vaccines that are already in the woodworks, and you know, maybe by Christmas. I don't know. Um, I'd, you know, I'd have to ask the people working on that. Um, the the thing is, though, unless you completely eradicate the virus, there will always be a need for a treatment as well. Right. Okay. So, yeah, you know. There's always, we, we have treatments for polio, we, we have treatments for many other things that we also have vaccines for, because there's always that possibility that someone in the population hasn't been vaccinated. Yeah, which is a growing, again, I'll use the word problem because me being uneducated it, in most of the facts, I would say it, it's a problem. It's a big problem. Um, I don't know if you heard, um, but I, I think it's, maybe it was the bubonic plague, but I, like I said, I've got a terrible memory, but something has sprung up somewhere in the in the world yep. in the past couple of weeks, something that we've Absolutely. not seen. Yep. And that's, you know, that's because of people not being vaccinated, things like that happening. Um, Just uh, quickly Googling that, because I think you're absolutely, I think you're spot on. Uh, China. It was China, actually, on the 6th of July. Uh, China confirms case of bubonic plague. Happy There's no surprise that it was China, is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's... How, how and again, I, I, know, I know that it's not the area you're working on, but as I say, you've got your opinion, same as everybody else, and maybe coming from a, a, a position of a wee bit more knowledge, at least, uh, how 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 much is the anti-vaxxer movement hindering 
Oh, right. this, okay. I feel really strongly about this. Which is, which is, which is fine. Uh, obviously, again, for, for everybody listening, uh, Shannon and I are recording this on, on Zoom and she's too, just took a huge big breath in. <laughs> I think she's, she's working up to something here. Uh, again, I promise you that wasn't placed in as, as like a, a trigger because I, I genuinely feel the, the same about it. But what is your thoughts on the anti-vaccine movement, if that's even a way of describing it? We are, in my opinion, um, well, not even in my opinion, this is, this is, you know, literal fact. If the anti-vax movement becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, we are going to go back in time. Okay. We are going to face things that we have not faced in a long time. And, you know, our people are just going to be ill. Um, who wants the smallpox? You know, who, who wants that? Who wants polio? Um, and I, I don't want to offend anyone by saying this, but I can understand to some degree how someone who's maybe um, uneducated yeah. or um, maybe who is um, really religious and given the wrong guidance from a religious leader. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can understand how they fall into, you know, that category and they decide not to vaccinate their children. But it is their moral obligation, in my opinion, to educate themselves and to accept the scientific evidence. Yeah. Go ahead, no, no, carry on, carry on. A lot of the um, reasons for not vaccinating that I've heard of is basically fear of the names of the chemicals and vaccines yep. um, being one of them, fear of children developing autism, which was completely debunked, scientifically proven as not a fact years ago, um, and also fear of the fact that, like you said, um, they are being infected. So and I've also heard a couple of government conspiracies and things like that about vaccines. That, yeah. um, and those are all completely natural fears. Uh-huh. But I think it's, like I said, those, um, those people's moral obligation to look into that and to you know, educate themselves and understand why they shouldn't be afraid of that. Um, and it's, it's hard because the immune system is a very, very complicated topic. Yeah. Um, and vaccines are very complicated and so to educate yourself it is difficult but if you're not willing to educate yourself then you have to accept the um, advice from healthcare professionals you know there's no doctor out there that would tell you not to vaccinate your children and if they are they should lose their medical license (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's one that I sort of just can't get my head around uh, we had uh, he just and again this is this is something that unless the, the, the conversation sort of flourishes for here that, that I don't really want to bog you down on but just since you've brought it up uh, I, I used to work for a, one of the major banks and we had some with a family and there's two wee things I'm going to say here the first one we had a family in who were uh, taking out a huge mortgage and they were advised uh, as the banks could give advice back then re- regarding uh, life insurance 
and, and stuff that they needed to, to cover themselves for mm -hmm. this huge mortgage. And I'll never forget it. And, and both the husband and the wife had, had, had said, well, don't worry, God will provide. And, and that, that's a true story. Again, I was there when it happened. And, and the other one was, a, a, it's one of my, my, and I was reading about this, it's one of my favourite sort of recent uh, quotes about people believing that, that, that God will get us out of this COVID nightmare. And it was about uh, the Prophet Muhammad. So obviously I follow Islam uh, and I was reading about the Prophet Muhammad and he had visited a town once back in the day and someone had, <laughs> had their camel, okay? So many stereotypes here. But someone had their camel and hadn't tied it up. And Muhammad, had, uh, peace be upon him, had visited and he'd said to the guy, why, why are you not tying your camel up? And he said, the guy said, oh, well, God will, God will take care of, I say my prayers, God will look after the camel. And Muhammad, who was a, uh, who, who was a proponent of, of, of good signs, said, tie your camel up and, and then pray to God. Uh, and that, well, listen, God ain't going to help you if you're silly <laughs> enough not to tie your camel up type thing. Yeah. And yeah. The, the two of them can be the problems that it causes that you're a believer in God, so you can't, I can't, I always feel ridiculous when I say this, you can't be a believer in, in science. It's, it's absurd. That two the, the of my most favourite people um, in this world, I won't say their names, but if they listen to this, they will know who they are. Two of my most favourite people in this world are devoutly, devoutly religious. Okay. Um, and they also are scientists. Yeah. In one aspect or another, you know, they've they've done their degrees and they are working in the field in one aspect or another. And their belief is that God created science to yeah. allow us an understanding of everything around us. I am not religious, yeah. um, but I can completely admire that. Um, I have, as much as I'm not religious myself, I have absolutely no problem with anyone's religion as long as they are peaceful with it. And as long as it doesn't get in the way of science. Now, that, that, yeah. what you've said about your friends there, I would agree with 100%, a million percent. Uh, yeah. I think that's absolutely, absolutely spot on. Yeah. Uh, talking about, uh, talking about viruses, the... And again, it's, I'm always worried about not being insensitive as such, but how, how to maybe address things. The, the, the progress that we've made with HIV, and obviously you'd, you'd said to me that you'd, you'd done some study or, or research yeah. on that. Tell me a wee bit about that, because I'm always interested. I think that's one of the ones that we've made so much progress on. Oh, yeah. Like, completely. Like, day progress. So it's, tell us a wee bit about the work you've done with that. It's it's insane the progress we've we've you know I mean and I, I wasn't even alive when when the HMV pandemic HIV um, pandemic was rife for lack of a better word yep, yep, yep. you know I wasn't I wasn't even alive and um, I, I I stopped working on one of my HIV studies 
actually to be brought on to the, the COVID study, but it was one of my favourite studies. Um, and it was, for all intents and purposes, um, a very simple study in the fact that this disease um, is completely livable now. Yep, People yep. contract it, they live with it, and to some extent, with the, the drugs that are available now, there is a possibility that if they have it and don't use protection but take these drugs, they can't pass it on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's absolutely phenomenal. Um, You're going from, and again, at least at least the, the sort of early, sorry, late 70s, I would imagine, into the early 80s, when it was really like a death sentence. Now, yeah. again, through unprotected sex, and uh, now with the drugs, you are able to sort of have children, et cetera, et cetera. That's, in 40 years, that's unbelievable. People, people have lives now, you know, it's, like you said, it's not a death sentence anymore. And um, the, the population, particularly within a first world setting, um, the um, gay population, yep. um, obviously not the only ones affected, but make up a, a big population of um, the HIV in infected um, patients yep. that we see. Um, you know, they can go about their normal lives with the people that they love or the people that they want to have relations with, and they don't have to be scared anymore. Yep. And I think that it's important for anyone in life to not have to be in be scared yeah. of the lifestyle yeah. still very important that they protect themselves yeah. and not be stupid yeah but i think that it's amazing now that if someone you know does end up hiv infected they can live their lives they can have partners without having to you know just worry yeah for how, how much do you know about how that actually how that actually works how the how the how the medication actually suppresses the virus? So this is where my terrible memory comes in That's because okay. I do somewhere buried in my subconscious yeah. know word for word exactly how it works because I worked on it um, but I've been so focused on this COVID stuff. That okay. Give, explain it to me uh, so, in the most basic of terms. Yeah so how HIV um, why HIV is such a deadly virus is because it buries into um, one of your primary immune cells. So it attacks your immune system. Mm -hmm. So the very thing that's meant to prevent you from, you know, becoming ill with the virus, it attacks. Yeah, okay, yeah. And it diminishes your immune system so much that you develop AIDS which is the you know the um the syndrome that you develop and that's eventually what you would die from and it's because you your immune system is so weak that you can't fight off normal infections so maybe you would die from pneumonia or something like that very similar to cancer you know your immune system becomes so weak that you don't actually die of the cancer you die of some other infection that's made its way through so again i i sort of think that i have this sort of down now but again maybe people listening don't and, and again that might be a bit silly for me to say so far down the line with, with how long people have been researching and treating and, and uh, with HIV but 
just to be clear, and again, you'll correct me, HIV is the actual virus that you, you catch. Yes. And AIDS is, is a description of the, the syndrome that the virus yes. brings to you. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. that. Okay. Okay. That's that. So you, you can't actually, again, this is probably a silly way of saying this, you, can't, you don't die from HIV, you die from the syndrome AIDS. Yeah. That HIV, that HIV virus brought to you. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Um, and so this drug essentially works by preventing HIV from attacking that primary immune cell. Okay. Um, it, it's 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 very good at kind of camping out in your body, so it would never completely get rid of the infection. Okay. So right now, if you stopped taking your medication, you would, you know, eventually become ill again. You need right. to continuously take your medication. Um, but it stops that virus from replicating. Um, it stops it from attacking your um, um, immune cells. And you would maybe potentially have a little bit of a lower level of immune cells than someone else. Okay. But yep. you have a high enough level to remain reasonably healthy. And, and obviously what, one of the main ways of transmitting the disease, or the virus, see there it goes, transmitting the virus, as we talked about, uh, and again, just, I, I want to sort of, and I, I know that you, 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 just to be one million percent clear here, you, you didn't imply this at all, uh, but I just want to sort of reiterate from, from my stance that, that it's not just within the gay community at all exactly so when i'm talking about uh, transmitting the disease through unprotected sex it's in it's in all communities and, and yeah all partners mm -hmm. uh, or through you know dirty needles or contact with yeah. someone else's blood anything like that but the advances that we've made to get to the stage now where people can actually safely have children it's, it's quite remarkable that the, the virus level through the, the medication is, is almost untraceable. And that's what you're saying, it can go away down, but it's always there. But, that's, yeah. but the medication controls that. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's, for, for the short amount of time, because 40, 40 odd years isn't long. And again, it's my not that, but. It's not a long time and I think it just goes to show you how far we've come in science in such a short period of time. You know, if you look back 50, 60, 70 years ago, how far we've come with treatments, with vaccines, with yep. just medical care in general, and then our scientific knowledge has just been, you know, phenomenal, even from when I was in high school to now. And maybe that's a bit of a naive thing to say because you could, equally argue that I just didn't know that much in high school and, and you know now I know more but even back you know then I feel like we've made significant advancements yeah uh, I want to talk a wee bit more about you now personally okay uh, but what I don't want to do is 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 through my sort of own lack of knowledge cut you off in anything that you want to to say regarding the trials for COVID or any of the current situation or or whatever. I don't want to have missed something out that, that you think is important information to, to have out there. 
So, so is there anything like that before we talk a wee bit about you? Because your story, as I said, was really interesting <laughs> to me as well. So, um, I think, I mean, I was happy just to let this conversation go yep. however, however it went. So Absolutely. there was nothing I really, you know, came on to, to speak to you about to specifically say. Um, but I think one of the things that's been just been rattling around in my brain the past couple of days with myself becoming more and more frustrated with how things are yep. is just, I don't want to sound like, you know, Boris Johnson or anyone like that, because, but I just, for people to remember that it's not gone. Yeah. We're still going through this. And if people start to become too um, inconsiderate with it, we will get a second wave. And the last thing any of us want is a second wave. So it's annoying, it's boring now, it's frustrating. Everybody wants to just go back to normal life. But if we, you know, the the politicians aren't lying. If we go back to normal life too soon, yeah. we will end up regretting it. So it's a fine balance. It's a difficult balance. Um, but, you know, people should still be careful and yeah. make sure that they are, you know, looking out for themselves and their families and their friends. People that are listening, uh, especially people that know me personally, don't tune out now. I'm going to very quickly say the word conspiracies, uh, but I'm not mm. going to get down this rabbit hole. I'm not, I promise you, Shannon, I'm not, and I promise <laughs> everybody listening, I'm not. Uh, but, and remember that everything that someone says before the word but means nothing. Uh, so, one of the fears I've got, and again, this probably isn't a conspiracy, but the, 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 they're, finding, uh, they're, they're finding viruses all the time, and possibly viruses... So there's going to be a question at the end of this. Yeah, yeah. Finding viruses in like the ice caps and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard that one. Yeah. Right. But I, so again, it's probably not a conspiracy as such, but uh, one of my major pastimes during the lockdown has been watching every episode of The X-Files. So <laughs> maybe I've been watching too much of this. Anyway, here comes the question. Uh, how much of a risk is... How much of a risk are viruses moving forward? How, how many COVID-19s are there out there that we've never experienced before that could be just as, if not more, deadly or dangerous than this? So this is a tricky question. So the answer is who knows, really. That's, okay. that's a simple answer. But viruses... Um, Viruses are a danger to the human population, depending on two things, how easily they are spread mm -hmm. and how deadly they are. Yeah. SARS-CoV-2 um, or, you know, this coronavirus um, yeah. that um, we're experiencing right now has got such a good mixture of both that that is how it's became a global pandemic. It's spread through your respiratory droplets, as you've probably heard, yep, which yep. means when you're breathing out, when you're sneezing, when you're coughing, you're sneezing out or breathing out viral particles. And they can sometimes linger for a certain amount of time. Um, or, you know, if you, you know, you sneeze into your hand, you're talking to your hand, you touch your face, you touch a counter, um, you know, the, the, the virus is there. It is very easily spread. So it's got that one first point yep. down. 
The second point that might first of all sound a bit silly is that it is not that deadly. That means that it's a bigger danger to the population. The okay. reason for that yep. is that because if someone contracts a virus that is extremely deadly, they are going to be so bedridden yep. that it's unlikely that they'll spread it. Yeah, that 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 uh, I, I had read and heard about that, and that was uh, that was in, that was that was actually really interesting. And and the there is actually there's clearly a common sense to that, but maybe as you said, it might sound a wee bit sort of counterintuitive. But the fact that this is making people seriously ill, but not before they've been able to go to work, get on the bus go to their sports class, go to whatever they're doing, whereas the, the, the more deadly it is, as you've just said, people are actually dropping like flies type thing and they don't have a chance to spread it. Exactly. Right, Exactly. Okay. So, there, I mean, who knows how many viruses there are out there, you know, like you said, in the ice caps or in animals that haven't mutated in a certain way yet to be able to jump into humans yet or whatnot. Who knows? But the answer is, how deadly are they? Yeah. And how easily will they be spread? For HIV, HIV isn't that easily spread if you compare it to COVID. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because you have to be, you have to come in contact with, you know, a, a patient's blood, for example. Yeah. And that contact has to be in one of your, um, what we would call mucous membranes, so your mouth, you know, your um, genitals, something yeah. like that, or an yeah. open wound. So it's not that easily spread. Yeah. Um, and as much as it's deadly, it's also not that deadly because it takes a long time for it to develop into AIDS. Yeah. Whereas you would have, you know, other viruses or even other bacteria where you, you know, you're infected and then instantly you're ill. I had, um, what's it called? Um, the winter sickness bug begins with an N, I'm sure. The norovirus? Yes, I, ha I had that um, a year or so, about two years ago now. I woke up and I genuinely thought I was dying and I was bedridden for two days. And the only time I get out of my bed was to go to the doctors and back. So that's apparently highly contagious, but you know, no one around me got it yeah. because I stayed in my bed. Yeah. So um, how many viruses are there out there that are a danger to, you know, the human, human population? Who knows? Probably, I don't even want to think about it because it would keep me awake at night. But how many are there that are likely to cause a pandemic is a different thing because they have to meet that fine balance the way SARS-CoV-2 does. Yeah, I kind of laughed into myself where you described it as uh, like it was one of the ones where you're, you're saying it's good but you kind of meant bad so it was like this it's like it's like the perfect storm of bad stuff uh, yeah you know but yeah it's we've must uh we've kind of the same as everybody had a lot more time indoors and you're sort of flicking through netflix etc etc and one movie that i thought was brilliant when it came out was uh, contagion Oh, I've not seen it. <laughs> don't watch it the now. Like Tracy, my wife, has said a couple of times, just as you're sort of endlessly flicking through, looking for uh, 
something to watch. You've got that sort of choice paralysis where you've got so mm -hmm. much to choose from and it's sort of popped up on Netflix or Prime or whatever it's on a couple of times and it just, it's given me the fear right now. Uh, it became, I'm sure when when the the pandi pandemic initially became global, I think that movie alongside a couple others became like the top picks on Netflix, mm -hmm. didn't they? Just everyone were, everyone was watching them. It's just because people of, I mean, people, not since like nine, the 1918 or whenever the last sort of major one, major pandemic was, we've just grown up getting your, uh, getting your vaccinations. Uh, well, have you had this, have you been vaccinated for this? Yeah, you're not going to get it. If you do get it, it's not going to be bad, etc., etc. And we've all just kind of went along with our lives. And then as you say, the fact that this is, it's novel, it's brand new, is the scariest yeah. thing, because mm -hmm. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately, I'm, okay, no, in fact, I've started, so I'll finish. <laughs> we just we go could, for it. <laughs> we could get through this. We, we could get through this, and the work that you're doing to create a, a, a treatment, and the work that your sort of other scientific colleagues are doing regarding uh, a vaccine and life's great again. You know what I'm going to say? And then the next virus hits that's mm -hmm. brand new. So or or am I just, am I, am I trying to... No, just no, you're, 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 you're totally right. It could, it could happen. Um, and it could be, again, something we've never seen before, something we're not prepared for, because nobody can predict the future, despite what some conspiracy theories might, might think. <laughs> um, no one can predict the future and no one knows. Uh, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of scientists who are studying viruses that are in animal populations okay. and they actually study those viruses and they actually label those viruses as to how high a risk they are of, of being able to mutate into a strain that can jump into a human. Um, right, so I know this is totally speculative, right? But how many are we talking that would be in that? That top danger bracket. I I don't I, I don't know. I would have to try and find that. Um, that means it's a lot. <laughs> there's, I mean, I'm, well, there are a ton of viruses in the animal animal population as well. But how many could actually mutate and yeah. jump into humans? But also, even if they could, are they? You know, like there's a possibility, but are they? Will they ever? Who knows? And, and what syndrome are they going to cause in humans? Because as much as scientists may be able to predict, okay, this virus and this bat has a high um, possibility of mutating into a viral strain that can jump into the human population. If that virus has never been seen before in the human population, we don't know what, that, what that's going to cause. We don't know whether someone's going to drop dead whether they're going to be absolutely fine, whether they're going to be sick, whether they're going to have cold and flu symptoms, we don't know. Yeah. So there's only so much that we can prepare, be prepared for, even in science. And this is someone who, I mean, I'm educated, but I'm certainly not half as educated as those people out there doing the research. So maybe there is more that we can be prepared for that I'm not aware of. Yeah. That's my kind of rudimentary understanding of it, is that, um, there's only there is only so much we can pre be prepared for because if the next virus does come around it may be a 
it may be a virus that affects your GI tract and you end up with sickness and diarrhea for weeks. Yeah. And, you know, that's a lot easier to deal with than um, respiratory issues where you have to ventilate a patient. Yeah. Um, or it may cause something completely different where, you know, it's a, a bigger strain on your healthcare system. There's, there's no way to know. One, one last sort of cheeky question on this. Uh, we sort of glint in the eye type thing. <laughs> Are you happy enough from what you've seen that this did originate where they say that it did? So everything, all of the sources that I've looked into are implying that it originated from a bat. Okay, yeah. If that's yeah. what you're talking yeah. about. Um, and I've also seen a lot of sources and a lot of papers actually that um, believe that it potentially jumped into an animal that was kept within, you know, in China, they keep all of these animals in cages for and food markets and things stuff. like that. Yeah. yeah. And then in some way it was again able to, you know, mutate or whatever, and then jump into humans. Yeah. Um, I think I've, I've got a lot of papers actually, links in front of me right now that I'd be happy to send you. Um, and a lot of them, you know, from what they can see from doing those studies, that does look to be where it originated from, from um, Wuhan, China, yeah. October, November time, probably from some form of market like that. And the reason for that is that there's so many animals and humans yeah. all pushed into such a small space. Yeah, of course. These um, viruses and you know even bacteria and other sort of things are all jumping between different animals, different things, um, and the more they jump and then um, proliferate, which is basically, you know, divide inside a different animal, the more likely they are to have genetic mutations, which mean they, you know, form a different strain that is potential that can you know, infect humans. So um, there's just a higher probability of viruses, of viruses that can um, infect humans being born in such an environment where there's so many animals and so many humans pushed into such a small space. Okay, okay. Uh, right, so again, this podcast is probably going to be uh, not, not literally split into two parts because I'll put it all out as the one, the one episode, but uh, we're going to go on a wee bit of a tangent here or maybe just sort of look, look back the way, I guess. Uh, one of the things that we, we, one of our most sort of popular episodes so far was, uh, in fact, bear with me one wee second. I should know this because I've not done so many of them. Uh, let's see. It was episode six with Scott Thompson. It was actually a student of mine and uh, has had quite a journey with mental health. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to reiterate or repeat, sorry, uh, what, what, what you've, you've achieved. As I say, you, you're, you're working now, uh, you're a clinical research associate, you managed to get uh, not just a degree, but a first class honours degree. So you're, the, and just the work that you've done so far, the achievements that you've, that you've managed from probably a, going through some difficult years yeah. are a part of the story that I want to, to focus on now. 
okay. and again, I, I think people that are that have to get through hardship. Again, who I'll be honest, and everybody always says that I'm a complete fanboy, and I am. But uh, having listened to Joe Rogan for years, it's something he always talks about in his podcast is about uh, how people. And you're further proof of this, actually. And a lot of the people who I've had on the podcast already are proof of this. But the most interesting people, like you clearly are, are people that have came through hardship. That's just the way that it is in life, I think. Your stories and, and your experiences and, and, and what it makes you as a person. If, if life has been completely simple and easy, you just... I think people who, who have, as I said, suffered through stuff, are more interesting. And I think mm. you're obviously clearly interesting, hence why I love the idea of having you on. So is that, can we talk about some, some of that stuff? Absolutely. Um, you, you may have seen me kind of smirking a couple of times through saying that. The reason for that is because I'm dreadful at taking compliments. Um, and I've actually been told, funnily enough, of my, of my line manager in my work that I need to get better at just taking compliments, just accepting when I'm told that I'm I've achieved something because I'm so bad at going right okay yeah that that was good I managed to get you know that thing um but what have I done wrong what what can I improve on what have I not done yet um I'm terrible at looking at all the things that I'm not good at yeah rather than focusing on the things that I've achieved so um I suppose you know thank you for wording it in that way you know even I find it even hard just saying that you, you find me interesting. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, and I also want to say, um, just in case anyone who does listen to this is someone that does know me, in the past, I have been very, very, very private about um, the struggles that I've had with my mental health. Um, and so... If anyone is listening to this and, and does know me, I don't want anyone to become upset if they're learning this information for the first time and they've never been aware of any of this before. But in the recent, um, in, in kind of recent times, I've realized that for me to be private about my past is all, always almost like me holding on to it. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm very open about it now. I'm very like, yeah, that happened, but who cares? I kind of make a lot of jokes about it. Yep. Um, and I'm just like, you know, let's try and move on with my life. So um, I suppose where, where do you want to begin? Well, what, what I'll say before you begin is that anyone, I, I have and I'm uh, passionate about, and that's why, as I say, it's a subject that's come up in the podcast uh, quite a lot. We're only 11 or 12 episodes in. Uh, I thought a lot about what I wanted to call the podcast. Uh, I finally sort of I kind of agreed on uh, the martial focus. The martial bit was because I was going to speak to martial artists like Stevie, uh, like Stephen Gale, like all the, the sort of really yeah. sort of good martial arts people that I've had on so far. Uh, but the focus bit is because I also wanted to focus on uh, the mind and meditation, mindfulness, but also to talk a lot about mental illness because I 
believe, strongly believe that this is something that it's the only way that we're going to get better at dealing with this is by giving people a platform and actually talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I know people keep on using the same, uh, well, if you had a, a broken leg, people would talk about that and it's because they can't see it. And, and I, I completely understand that, but I still think we're, we're as a society, that we're just not dealing with this enough. So that's the reason why I find it so interesting and want to explore it with people and try and normalize it as best that we possibly can. The other wee thing I'll say before you, 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 we start is that uh, these podcasts are all long forum. There's no, there's no limit. You can take as long as you wish. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, and there's no stress whatsoever. So where do we want to start? Uh, you were really, really good at sort of school until you weren't. <laughs> That's maybe a funny thing to say, but you weren't because of uh, yeah. you. You began have you began suffering from mental yeah. illness, mental yeah. Uh, the yeah. So let, let's go back to then. So let let's start from maybe high school and. Yeah straight A student, really quite talented at school, and, and, and then where do we go for there? Yeah, so my first kind of four years at school, um, I suppose as at high school, I suppose as would be the same for anyone, you know, listening. Um, um, I was 11 when I started high school, I was one of the youngest. Um, so 11, 12 to, you know, 13, 14. Um, you're you're finding your feet, you know, you're trying to find who you are, um, you're trying to find the kind of friends groups that you fit into yep, yep. and what you want to do with your life and all that sort of stuff, you know, you're just walking about aimlessly trying to figure yeah, out, I hear you. Figure out life. Absolutely. Um and I always my mum always jokes actually when I was um she always says I I don't know how true it is, but she always says that when I was four um, four years old, I told her I wanted to be a paleontologist when I grew up. Right, okay. Um, so I've always been in, into science. I've mm. always been um, really interested in science, really interested in medicine and the body. And um, another joke of my mum's is always that she always knew that I was going to grow up quite um, so much of a goth. Uh, you might not know it right now, but I'm a closet. <laughs> closet goth slash emo yeah. <laughs> um, because I was totally fascinated in death as well and not in the morbid sense I was really fascinated scientifically yeah and you know you know what happens when 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 people die um, and things like that so from a very young age I was so fascinated in science and so when I started high school I already knew roughly what I wanted to do when I was four, I wanted to be a paleontologist, but that kind of molded its way. And when I started high school, I originally wanted to be a forensic pathologist. Right, okay. I had watched a load of NCIS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I really wanted to be, um, you know, that pathologist when the dead body comes to the table and you figure out what's happened to them. Yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted to do. With the theme music playing in the background and all the drama. Exactly, exactly. And if you know if you know NCIS, the girl, the the main girl Abby, who somehow was a forensic pathologist and a 
um, chemist and this and the next thing. She was a goth and she had her wee black haired bunches and things like go. that. So <laughs> totally wanted to be her. Yep. Um, so I already went, I was going into high school, uh, unlike probably a lot of people knowing what I wanted to do with my life or yep. you know thinking I knew what I wanted to do with my life at that point. So I just you know, dove straight into school. And for the first four years, I was pretty much a, a, a straight-A student. I, um, I, I did struggle. I'm not a good learner. Um, as you've already heard me say already, um, I've got a terrible memory. So it takes me hours and hours to learn something. And that used to really frustrate me in school because um, I used to be the person that people would go to to copy their homework off of. Yep. Um, so, you know, they would copy their homework, they would go into class, they would do everything, and then they would do an exam and they would get straight A's and I would fail. Yep. I was always that person. But I always, because of that, I, you know, I knew my limits and when exams came around, I would not sleep unless I could rhyme off things um, word for word. So when I, in my, in my fourth year, when I got my kind of standard grade results, um, it was pretty much all A's. I got one, two, and it was for Spanish. Okay. Um, so I wasn't beating myself up about that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I moved into fifth year, um, I really started to struggle with my mental health. Um, and I now know from doing a lot of self, self-study that it was primarily anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, I had horrendous anxiety, but that actually escalated into depression. So for the first two years, for the last two years of high school, I was, you know, I was missing a lot of school. Um, I was um, either binge eating, starving myself or um, cutting myself. Um, I was still studying, I was still doing all my homework, I was trying my best, but it just wasn't in me. Yep. It just wasn't there. Um, no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't. And of course, you do make a big intellectual jump when you go into fifth year when you're doing hires. There's a, a bigger challenge intellectually as well. But no matter what I'd done, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I, I still walked away in fifth year with hires. I still walked away with five hires, but for me, it was devastating. And I don't want to take anything away from anyone else. I got two Bs and three Cs. I fully acknowledge that for a lot of people, that is fantastic. You know, that is, that, that's good results. Um, so I don't want to take any achievements away from anyone else by saying that. I had my, my friend Cynthia was on, the, who's a yoga instructor on the last episode. She said something to me uh, on the episode that people can listen back to. And uh, she said, and it was about another subject, but she just said, it's not competition. And just the way she said it struck me. And, and this, is your, this is your journey. There's no need to, there's no need yeah. to apologize to, to anybody. This is your journey. So uh, carry on, carry on. Fair enough, fair enough. So one of the reasons it was so devastating to me was because I had my eyes set on Glasgow Caledonian University and for that I had to get um, an A in biology and an A in chemistry higher yep. and I didn't um, I didn't get those those results 
So um, that meant that I either had to go to university um, of the West of Scotland in Paisley, or I had to do my um, sixth year and I had to try and get, you know, better results. But every kind of, it almost felt like every kind of hit I took with school just made me go deeper and deeper into that depression. And, you know, and we've, we've spoken before this, so there's, there's other reasons that I was, I was struggling with my mental health. We won't go into that. Yep, but even just that thing. continuous, even just that continuous, you know, struggle even with school and starting to feel like I'm failing and things like that, it just made me go uh, go deeper. So when I went into sixth year, uh, I started doing advanced tires, mm -hmm. um, advanced tire chemistry, advanced tire biology, and I done higher physics and higher PE as well. Um, midway through. I had to drop higher PE and higher physics. And then I continued with advanced higher chemistry and advanced higher biology, but I did not pass the exams. So essentially I walked away with, with nothing in sixth year. And sixth year was really, I struggled in fifth year, but sixth year was really a, a dark year for me. Um, you know, if, How is that manifesting itself away from school? Like, I mean, you mentioned like self-harm there, yeah, so um, I I had um, a terrible binge eat slash starve cycle that I would go through, um, and yeah, I, I was cutting myself as well, and basically, you just didn't really see me, so I would get home from school, um, I was working at the time, I was working in McDonald's at the time, um, I would either go to work, or I would be in my room and that would be it. And I would be in my bed and my kind of, the only way that I could take my mind off of anything was what, it sounds silly, but it was either, you know, cut myself and doing all of these kind of in quotation marks coping strategies that aren't really coping strategies. Um, or it was just watching something on Netflix and binge eating. Um, and it was like that total, um, all of my attention being on that thing, yeah. it just made everything else, you know, go away around me. You're making me um, feel really old here, by the way, talking about having been in sort of the senior years at school and watching Netflix. Like, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm only, well, I'm 13 or 14 I'm years older than you are, but like, you, went to, you still went to the video shop and stuff, so. Just uh, yeah. Well, I I don't I don't remember those days. So <laughs> yeah, you would have been a you would have been a kid. Seeing you're talking about working and and going back to your room, that this is one of the things that not not upsets me as such, but but makes me think a wee bit deeper about the problem that that I'm trying to to highlight. And and I'll explain this a wee bit. You get if you walk into McDonald's and somebody serves you, and they're standing with their their arm uh, in a sort of sling or a sticky or whatever it is, again getting back to the point I made earlier, oh that person's got a broken arm I wonder how many people we see daily at McDonald's, at Starbucks, at work at driving in the car beside you or whatever, how many people do we see who who are so ill and nobody Nobody ever knows. 
No, it's it part of. It's actually it's it's popularly known now, you know, through social media and things like that. That the most mentally ill people are usually the ones that look the happiest. Yep. Yep. Because they know how to put a face on. Yep. Yep. Um, and usually it is because of, well, I'm saying usually, I'm, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but um, certainly from my own experience, it's because of you've had to learn to put a face on when you've experienced pain. So when you're continuing to experience that pain, you know, say someone's getting bullied, for example, you have to pretend that that doesn't bother you. And then so you learn how to put a face on. Yeah. Um, and you then learn to do that just all the time. So yeah. even though you're you're struggling, maybe you're extremely anxious, maybe you're um, depressed, maybe you're a mixture of both like I was, um, you just get on with it and you then cope in the privacy of your own space the only way that you know that you can. And you know, some people know how to cope very help healthfully and then other people make their own kind of ways to cope like I did at, at that time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I certainly, don't get me wrong, um, I, I don't know if you've experienced this being a, a coach yourself, but I know a lot of people that have struggled with mental health, but I don't know if that's because I have uh, socialised in those types of environments like, you know, a, a, a martial arts gym yep. um, and other places like that where people people are probably going there to find an outlet for that that yep. anger and that stress, you know? 100%. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing my usual, uh, and again, this is such a stereotype, but I definitely fall into that. I'm doing my usual male trying to multitask here and I'm just looking at the notes that you that we've sort of exchanged. Uh, so you you got to sort of 15, 16 and the last two years of, of high school was when this kind of really started to kick in for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that also went into your sort of uni, your first couple of years at university as well. Yeah. As you were getting older, there's a, that interests me as well, obviously having left high school, maturing, getting to sort of university age, and, and, and did that, did the, 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 did the mental health issues that you were having sort of mature with you? Did they become worse as you got older, or how did the next couple of years pan out for you? So I'd say my worst years were um, fifth, sixth year of high school and then first year of university. Right. But I mean, I'm, I'm just to be really open about it, I'm still struggling with my mental health now. Not to any extent as I, as I was back then, but it's definitely not gone. Yep. Um, so it was in a certain way, yeah, like you said, maturing alongside me. In some ways I was becoming uh, more resilient. In some ways I was caring less about what certain people thought about me, as you do as you get older. Yep, but yep. then in other ways I was struggling a lot more um, with my anxiety because you're, start, you're, you're introduced into a different type of 
society with different expectations as you get older you know you're starting to go to pubs yeah um you're starting to think about life and you know yeah. money and um caring about wanting to drive and all that as well so that brings with it different pressures that i really struggled with as well um actually between finishing high school and starting university that's when i started thai boxing yeah um i was struggling a lot um i remember i have the memory drilled into my, my brain it's so vivid um i sat down with one of my very close friends she's been my best friend for practically all my life i sat in her bedroom and i told her about how much i was struggling and one of the things i was really struggling with was my weight because i was um in my opinion significantly overweight um and she had been doing thai boxing all of her life on and off with uh, with stevie's and stevie's gym and um she already, said to me oh, well who's already been on the podcast but we should give yeah. Stevie a big shout out because the work that stevie does is quite incredible with, with a lot of people absolutely absolutely um yeah he has I can't even start talking about how much he's helped me with my life. Um, but yeah, she suggested that um, I go to, I try Thai boxing. She was like, tell you what, why don't you just come to one of these classes with me? It'll really help you, you know, lose weight and, and, and things like that. So why don't you come? And I remember my first class when I was kicking the, uh, the the heavy bags yeah. and my shins were killing me yeah. and i couldn't i couldn't kick for love nor money i could not kick i don't know what it must have looked like looking back but it was absolutely dreadful and i remember stevie shouting at me kick the effing thing or something like that and at that point i was just like i love this place yeah, <laughs> yeah i hear you i hear you um and it just absolutely burst me and it that got out the energy that was built up yeah. that I was releasing in all of those unhealthy ways. Yeah. Um, and I realized, you know, that, that that was something that I could put my energy in. I still kind of struggled with it. Um, so it wasn't as if, you know, I started high boxing and all of a sudden I stopped um, binge eating and all that sort of stuff. I still struggled with it. But as I developed in Thai boxing I had less and less of a need to um cope in those other ways yeah um and so I just poured my heart and soul into a um focusing on on uni because what I actually done between the summer of um high school and university I studied a lot of my biology and chemistry because I was so adamant that I wasn't you know, going to fail in uni. Yeah. Um, I studied a lot, so it was between studying, working over the summer to get some money, and then just doing Thai boxing. Um, but then I got into uni, and I started struggling again. There was that additional pressure. There was, uh, you know, even coming from from an anxiety standpoint, you're walking into a lecture room filled with over a hundred people. You're trying to find, you know, friends, people that you can socialise with and sit with and 
Um, there's those different expectations again. Are you going to go to the union after your lecture? Are you going to stay and study? Are you going to go to the library? All of these different things. Um, and it was a whole new world for me. And it was a world that I initially totally hated. And I continued to fail. So my first and second year of uni, I, I was actually failing my first year, completely failing. Um, I wouldn't have got into my second year um, because of that lovely topic that I mentioned earlier, statistics. <laughs> um, and it was actually Stevie who put me in touch with um, someone um, who I haven't seen in a long time, um, Joe Steele, really, really intelligent guy. Um, and his kind of main focus was maths and physics and science and things like that at that point. And I, I sat down with him and he kind of tutored me through some things that I needed to, to pass that year of university. And that's the only thing that got me into my second year. We'll give Joe a wee shout out here as well because I was actually with Joe at the last uh, Power of Scotland. Were you? In November. I think he was with a different group, but uh, he came up and sat with me for most of the night. So I know Joe as well. So shout out to Joe. Uh, shout out to him. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, he, the, the only reason I got in at my second year of uni. Um, and yeah, my second year, um, I was dropping out. Um, I was going to try and do uh, physiotherapy. I thought, right, this isn't for me. I'm struggling. Maybe I'll go and do physiotherapy. Maybe I'll just, you know, work for a bank somewhere. Perfectly good job. Perfectly fine for so many other people. So maybe I'll just go and do that too. Um, and here's where the here's where the turning point in my life came. Between second year and third year of university, I went to Thailand. Okay. And to a lot of people, this may seem trivial. I don't understand mental health enough to know why this was a turning point in my life. Um, but I went to Thailand by myself. Right. Um, I was 19. I had only ever been abroad once as far as I can remember maybe twice in my life but I was really young at those times yep. so this was my first time as a young adult going abroad and I was going completely alone and I went for a month um, and I noticed that there's a, a whole new world out there if you know what I mean like that yep. sounds cheesy like it not, came out it straight out of Aladdin but <laughs> no, no, no not at all unless you unless you burst into song but Apart from that, yeah, carry on. You do not want me to burst out a song. <laughs> um, no, I, so um, I flew into Thailand, I flew into Bangkok. I landed in the airport at 11 o'clock at night, got a taxi to the gym, um, and training started that morning at 7 in the morning. And it's completely... You've paid for all the training sessions. It's completely yeah. optional whether you actually go and do those training sessions. Yeah. Yeah. But me being me and the person I am, like I said, I dove right into it. I was like, no, I'm doing this. I'm here for this reason. So I got up at six in the morning um, to specifically make sure I had um, ate a banana and things like that before yeah. I was going to you know, do my big training session ahead. 
and um, by half past six I walked down to the gym to do my road work and it was 38 degrees <laughs> and I started doing my road work and I was dead by the time I had done my road work it was 38 degrees I was clearly jet lagged I'd only landed 11 o'clock that night um, and then I went a, and done for MD who isn't a fighter or a martial artist or an athlete your road work is, is running just yeah sorry oh, yeah. yeah and it's just laps it's just keep going keep going until you fall over basically um and then once you've done your road work um depending on the availability of the the rings you either go and do your pad work with one of the coaches or you do bag work and then they'll shout you in you yeah, know yeah. um so they shout the they shouted me in for bag work and it was um five minute rounds as I know I've, I've heard Stevie tell you before when he was on um, and I think it was by the third round I was ready to pass out and there was these two Thai guys sitting watching me um, hit pads because I, I think at first they maybe because I'm I'm quite thick we'll say I'm thick I'm not exactly overly lean um, and I don't look like I would be a good Thai boxer. I'm certainly not a good Thai boxer now, but back then I, I could definitely throw a punch. Um, and I I'm think they probably... <laughs> I think they probably thought I was, you know, completely amateur. Um, and then I started throwing and I started, you know, making those grunt noises that all the Thai, lovely Thai boxers make. And it, you know, attracted some of an audience. So there was two Thai guys there watching me hit pads and I gave everything in my first round. But by the third round, I was genuinely swaying, eyes rolling to the back of my head. I was going to pass out. Yep. And the Thai guys were laughing, but the coach was going to, I think he was going to keep pushing me. Mm -hmm. um, and the two Thai guys said something to him in Thai. They must have said, you know, enough's enough for her because after that, it was like, right, you know, go and go home basically. Yeah, yeah. Usually after your um your round your round work, you would do the bag work if you haven't done your bag work already, yeah. and then you would lift weights. This guy just sent me home. Yeah. And I got into my room and I text Stevie and I burst out crying and I was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Um fell asleep. Stevie had texted me back and said, Listen, just you know, get a good sleep, remember your jet lag, it's your first day, blah, 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 and see how you do in the afternoon. And so I got to sleep again, I had some lunch, revitalised myself, and then I went back for my second session in the afternoon, and I just, I managed to do it all, and I'd done it all to quite a good level, in my, in my own opinion. And, you know, the coach was proud of me, and he was saying, you know, good and all that sort of stuff, so I felt great about myself. So there was that aspect of doing that training for that entire month and I barely missed a day. Um, I was there all the time. I also met a couple of people, one American guy, one Swedish guy, and I went and I seen a lot of Bangkok alone. And it was the first time I had ever been out somewhere completely alone. You know, no one even knows the English language really. Yep, yep. Um, and so I was going into cafes and I was sitting having a coffee completely alone, just people watching. And it just calmed me. Yep. And I, I genuinely believe I came back a completely different person because I think at that point I realised that I could 
do things alone and yeah. that that you know there was more out there than just focusing on the pressure of passing uni and and you know getting a car and doing this doing that and doing the next thing so i came back from thailand a completely different person um and it wasn't long after that that i um started a training camp for my first first and as it stands only fight um and that completely changed me as well because that really pushed me and that took me to limits that i'd never been to before and i just realized that i was kind of starting to get over a lot of those issues that i had in the past um and well, yeah and discovering just what you're you, was it discovering that your limits weren't what you thought they were and that they, yeah. were, they were much bigger or better limits that you had exactly i think i think for a lot of my life and i still sometimes feel like this um when i do have issues when i do have i suppose flare-ups i feel you know inadequate or weak or um just not good enough or that i can't do things that um i'm unsuccessful and i i felt that way a lot when i was that age and i just it just was constantly up here you know it was constantly on my brain um and it just took over my life and i think when i went to thailand and i for lack of a better word survived it yep yep do you know what i mean yep, yep, yep. and enjoyed it and then when i went into my training camp and i took everything that got thrown at me and then i won my fight it was like actually i am quite a strong person yep. and i can beat the anything that's thrown at me you know it was like a realization that i'm not weak that i can um get over things and i think beforehand um i would say someone would say something to me um that maybe wasn't even meant in a in a nasty way but my anxiety would twist it and i would think that person hates me um you know would what what must they think of me and then i would go oh my god i'm a horrible person yeah i what have i done to this person um i shouldn't be here um oh, i'm just this i'm that and, that and i would just i would i would assume that someone else thought something of me I would take that assumption and then I would twist it into all of these horrible thoughts that I thought about myself. And it, because I had no way of coping with that, it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. I couldn't get out of my own head. Yeah. Um, but with Thai boxing and um, with winning my fight and with another couple of things, um, he'll hate me for saying this, but with also meeting my boyfriend, who I'm still with to this day, yep. um, who has been, you know, one of the best people ever in my life, and he's taught me a lot as well. Um, I've just realised I've I've learned how to stop it before it spirals. I th I think we obviously come from two different martial arts. Uh, your experiences have been primarily with Thai boxing. Obviously my experience is, is in Taekwondo, although I've trained a lot more with Stevie over the last few years. Uh, and again, it's one of the conversations that, that 
has came up so far by doing the podcast, and I hope will, and not that I hope, I'm, I'm absolutely certain it will do. There's a thing within, and again, this isn't saying that it's not there in football or rugby or any other sporting or active activity. Uh, and it's cliched as well, but you being in Thailand, you training for a, for a fight, none of that was actually, and again, this is where the cliche comes in, but none of that was actually competing against anybody else. Even your fight, it was about mm-hmm. competing against you Absolutely. and making you stronger. And this Absolutely. is the, this is the stuff that we, ad, we advertise and, and this is the stuff that we talk about all the time. But having someone like you on the podcast talking about this with actual tangible uh, life experiences that you can, you can point to shows that it works it shows that it actually works Mm -hmm. but again here comes another compliment someone said and again it was Stephen Gale who's a really high ranking uh, multi time world taekwondo champion he says this all the time about martial arts doesn't necessarily change uh, your character but it reveals your character so you need to take the compliment Shannon none of that would have happened without that being inside you, it wouldn't have been. Because it, it, Thai boxing's magic and Taekwondo's magic and Judo and all these different martial arts, but they're only magic to an extent. They, they, they can't, I, I, I believe, when he said that to me a few times over the years and, and the more I think about it, the more I, I, I do agree with it. Maybe we've all got it somewhere, but that's found that mental toughness Mm-hmm. that was always in you and then mm-hmm. it's, that's helped develop it and bring it out yeah but the compliment's got to be there that it was in you in the first place to actually <laughs> to actually find it so yeah uh right so you, you you managed to get through what would have been four years of uni was it so yes yeah, so I, I i i went to thailand i had my first fight that was all between my second and my third year of, okay. of uni yeah um and at that point, I had won my first fight. I had started going out with um, my, my boyfriend, who I'm with now, like you said. And um, things just started changing for me because, yeah, like you said, I kind of found a bit of mental tough, toughness. And I, I want to keep reiterating that nothing fully went away. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, my God, I had this cure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just I learned how to better deal with things. Um, and so it meant that I didn't have to, you know, delve into a, a week of being in my bedroom, not going to university, um, binge eating one day, starving the next day, cutting myself the next day. I didn't have to do that anymore. Yeah. I could go to uni. I could see my friends. I've I've now got lifelong friends who I met at uni who were all very supportive back then. You know, the amount of times I've phoned some of them taking panic attacks in the middle of Glasgow Central Station. Um, I'm just so lucky that I, I had those people around me as well. So when I got into third year, I, I started to really, you know, on on the up and I yeah. knew how to deal with it. And I, that was me. I was completely focusing on university. Um, and I uh, was starting to get my my A's again, you know, my really good my really good marks, 
Um, I was talking a lot to the lecturers. I was just showing a lot of initiative. I was motivated again and I knew what I wanted. Um, and then also between um, third year and fourth year, I went to Portugal for three months. Okay. Um, so uh, I love Thailand so much that our university was offering a, a what, what's called an Erasmus placement. Okay. Um, and it's basically a placement in another country for three months where you do some form of research pertinent to your degree. Yeah. So I went over to Portugal for three months and I worked with um, PhD students studying lung cancer, non-small cell lung cancer. Okay. Um, and I wrote a couple of papers on it and things like that. <clears throat> when I say papers, university papers, nothing that was published. Yep. Okay. Um, and that was a different kind of mental tough for me because for the first time in my life, um, I was enjoying my life and I went to a different country. Yeah. And I completely missed Thai boxing and I completely missed my boyfriend and I missed my family. And I wasn't in that same, you know, really high place that I was in in Thailand. I actually, you know, was in a really bad place when I was in Portugal. Yeah. Um, it didn't help that I was working in the lab 12 hours a day, like every day. <coughs> Sorry, I've got a really dry throat. <clears> throat> Every day, every day in the last four months, no, nobody in, in human history has justified as many coughs as they have since COVID kicked in. <laughs> every day that, that coughs now is like, uh, it's hay fever or I've got a dry cough. I've just got a dry throat, I know. Just a cough. I know, <laughs> I know. or I, I bet nobody's been as paranoid as they have every time they've coughed. Like, <laughs> what's this going to turn into? Yep, yep. <coughs> That's my karma for saying that. Take your time. So yeah, um, I had a different kind of struggle that time when I went to Portugal, but I still came out of it with successful papers, with you know A's from my my uh, uh, what what do you call him? I'll just call him lecturer. He wasn't a lecturer, but A um, A A marks from my mentor yep, yep. in Portugal and more life experience in another country again and then I, uh, when I went into fourth year I decided to quit my job and cut down on Thai boxing because that was me I was adamant I was getting a first class honours degree yep. and nothing was stopping me and it didn't matter how many times David my, my boyfriend came into um, our room and seen me crying and saying that I was going to drop out of uni or saying that I wasn't going to pass, the very next day I was straight back at it and yep. I was absolutely adamant that I was getting a first. And I did. I got my I got my first class um, honours degree. Um, I'd done my dissertation on branch chain amino acids um, mm -hmm. because I was really interested at that point and some sports science as well, because I was still into my Thai boxing. So my, my dissertation was on um, branched chain amino acids. And yeah, I think I was the top seventh in my, in my class, I think. But it was, yeah, like it was just a, it was a complete transformation to go from completely failing to, yep. you know, um, graduating top of, top of my class. Um, and that was me from then. I was, kind of had, had achieved my goal, you know? I think a couple of things to, to say is that your story and, and people who have stories like you are 
super important because, and again, it's something that's said all the time. There's people out there at the minute. I think I, I said I think I said this in the last episode as well. What we're what we're not far off a thousand downloads already for which for a, a small sort of podcast just starting up. I've been really happy with, and hopefully that sort of gets sort of more popular and more popular. And there might be, it could be somebody who's in the Thai boxing gym. It could be somebody at my Taekwondo school. It could be any teenager sitting where you were. That's why these, these conversations are important because people can turn it around. And then mm-hmm. there's the, the thing that sits beside that, which both of us have a love for and experience in and martial arts and just how, how, how that can help you as well. Uh, and the other thing as well is, is that, and again, you've mentioned this a couple of times, and I think I'm glad that you mentioned it because it's important that you don't wake up one morning and, and it's disappeared. It, it's not, this is where mental health can be probably even more severe getting back to this broken arm or a broken leg, you'll wake up one morning and your arm won't be broken any longer. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's fixed and that's that. Or, or that's that. you have tonsillitis or whatever, and it, it's, it's gone. However, you're further proof again, and that's something, that, again, you should be super proud of. You're further proof that, it, that you can live with it, but you can, mm-hmm. you, you can become stronger, more personally stronger to be able to deal with it. Um, And that's a fantastic achievement in its own, uh, which has then let you go on to achieving everything that you've done since then. It's uh, it's a brilliant story. And again, you need to get better at taking... But again, listen, it's a nice thing as well. Uh, You can see it, as as I said, we mentioned earlier on, we're doing this on Zoom. uh, And you can see the that sort of shy sweetness in your face because you're like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> uh, stop saying nice things. But, but it is what it is. Uh, right, okay. Whether it be about COVID, whether it be about mental health, Thai boxing, martial arts, anything at all, is there anything you want to add in before we, before we finish up? And it, this is your time. It can be about anything at all. Just, just while we're still on that, that, that topic, I just want to say, because you have said that, you know, one of your aims of this podcast is to kind of let people know that I suppose that they're not alone yeah. um, in, in these sort of things. There are coping strategies, but a lot of the time when I was, even still now, um, I've seen a, a, um, I've seen a, two psychiatrists, a counsellor and three psychologists okay. in my life. I have seen a lot of professionals um, and most of them didn't work for me because another really dangerous thing about mental health is that it's very personal. Yeah. It's very personal. And I like that you're using the analogy of the the broken arm because a broken arm, everyone's arm, the physiology of your arm is roughly the same, you know. So a doctor will see that, they'll know how to treat it and it will be treated. Yeah. For mental health, everyone's coping strategies may be different. 
So I used to sit back and go, oh, but, you know, that, that person's fine. That person knows how to do it. How come I can't? And I think it's useful to know that even if someone else has coped in a certain way and you're not coping by using their same, you know, coping strategy, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get through it. It just means that you have a different coping strategy that you need to try. Yep. Um, and I think that's very important for specifically um, people who are struggling, you know, who are in that struggle right now to know that just keep trying to find some form of coping strategy. It may be Thai boxing, it may be meditation, it may be Taekwondo, it may be swimming, it may be writing, reading, you know, flicking your wrist with a, a elastic band. Yep, yep. There are so many coping strategies out there and you'll have never tried them all. Just keep trying, you'll find the one for you. Yep. Um, I think that's so important for people to know. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, right. I mean, that, I always, I've got into the habit of saying that's a good place to finish, and I think it is. I think it's a great message, but I, I just, I don't want to sort of signing off and you not have had, an, a chance, had the chance. Anything else you want to add? Are you happy enough for that? I'm just happy to come on and chat, to be honest. Um, so, no, the, I would say if anyone wants to, you know, speak to me um, about anything, about my job, about mental health even just if they want a new friend hi i'm here <laughs> i'm a bit socially awkward but <laughs> I'm over, yeah. um, that's, the, no i mean that's 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 look again there could be people out there that, that want to take that up if you do uh i've got shannon's details obviously so contact me yep. or what the the, the 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 podcast page and uh i'm not going to we'll, we'll screen you first before we <laughs> before we send you on, uh, but no, listen, that that's lovely. Uh, right, so if you're cool, I'm cool. I think we're uh, awesome. Well, as it's about two hours we went there, which just always flies by. Always long conversation. Uh, right, okay, Shannon, thank you. Uh, thank you, thank you for having me on. This has been a, a really good experience. No, brilliant. You've done fantastic. So thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you. Look forward to listening to anyone else you have on. Brilliant. Okay. Take care, Shannon. Thank you. Thanks, Graham. See you later. See you later. Bye. 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 -bye.